0: Harold Isaac is a journalist living in Haiti. I work with a lot of media. And when the most recent protests broke out, protesters lit these tires on fire in Haiti's capital. They're angry about high fuel prices and crime and want the prime minister to resign. Different outlets called him asking about sending their reporters in. You know, they're sending journalists and I'm I'm like,
1: the situation is very serious. I cannot guarantee their well-being. It is true. Right now, I need to make sure I have water for my family. If someone is coming from abroad, I'm likely not going to have water for them to drink.
0: So what is happening in Haiti? Protests, a massive water shortage, and on top of that, a cholera outbreak. And why is all this happening now? I'm Hala mohia and this is the take Harold is one of the lucky ones and he knows it he has solar panels so he has some electricity so we try to get the house running during the day and at night we fall into blackout he's sitting out on the porch as we talk and he's got water for the house for now In
1: houses in Haiti, you have tanks where you keep rainwater. But I don't think I'm going to have water indefinitely like that.
0: And just in the past few days, another major water problem has re-emerged. Cholera. Haitian officials confirmed
1: that at least seven people are known to have died of cholera in recent days.
0: After the earthquake in 2010, it was imported to Haiti by UN forces and spread through contaminated water. It killed nearly 10,000 Haitians in the end. Just last week, we learned that cholera is back in Haiti and have already been several deaths. Is that something that you're surprised by?
1: Honestly, no. Unsurprisingly, cases came from the most destitute areas of this country because folks who already had it really, really hard could not get water, clean water. And they are the first victims, honestly, of this current cycle of crisis.
0: Just explain to us what what that's like, just in practical terms. Haiti
1: means mountain lands. Roughly 95% of the territory is mountain. And because of deforestation and poor waste management, lack of governance, what ends up happening is water from the top of the hills goes down. And and we're in a rainy season right now. The rain brings everything with it. Sadly, Port-au-Prince's litter were trash, worse than it is in general. And as such, these folks... (laughs) are at the receiving end because in the areas where the confirmed cases were reported by the Bay of Port-au-Prince, they don't get access through international organizations and NGOs and sometimes the state. They do not have access to clean water. They are exposed to tainted water, to unhealthy, not drinkable water. And the latest unrest is just making it worse because of all the barricades and because of all the violence right now.
0: They are stuck, they have to hunker down, and they're trapped with that water. The barricades and violence Harold is talking about are partially a result of a problem we've reported on before on The Take. Haiti's president, Jovenel Moïse, was assassinated just over a year ago. And in his wake, Prime Minister Ariel Henry has been leading the country... But his authority is being questioned by many Haitians. He promised new elections that have yet to come. And even before the latest shortages, Henri's been blamed for giving up the country to gangs. The country is faced with
1: chronic gang violence. Two journalists were shot dead and their bodies set on fire. The average folks here in Haiti, what they probably would want to say out loud is that the gang situation is out of hand and they have really high doubts that a Haitian national police in its current state can handle it by itself.
0: So now we have a water shortage, cholera, gangs, and then the ports shut down. Talk to me about the ports because they've been closed for about a month now. Haiti was
1: facing already a low or slow customs operations for the last three months. Now what you're facing in the last month is a complete stop of imports. Virtually everything is imported and you're feeling it either in markets or supermarkets. Shelves are empty because they have not resupplied in more than two, three weeks. Going to a supermarket is already somewhat of a luxury. Right? for the majority of people. But what happens now for the last month, it went from a luxury to an aggression. Having a car went from a luxury to being an aggression. They were beating people up because they were on a motorcycle. So this is the level of tension and, and it's escalating nearly by the hour. Now, here is where it's complicated because the very day we found out about the confirmed cases of cholera, the biggest private... Water Treatment Facility, the Caribbean Bottling Company, announced that they were suspending operations because they ran out of gas. Wow. And what it means in Haiti, uh, first off, it's a massive panic. Folks, let's say like me, who are more of a middle class, can afford to buy five-gallon jugs. When I found out that they were running out, I literally crossed over a truck that was carrying on in the street and I said you're going to sell me five five gallons now <laughs> so I can have it home for me and, and the kids but honestly to memory to anybody I'm talking to they've never seen it in such a sorry state
0: because you know if, if water is running low I mean l- life doesn't go on without water H- how do you see this playing out
1: I think this is the great shutdown and, and we've never been to that many hospitals have already ceased operations people are dying it's that simple. Whether it's for dialysis, whether it's a limb that you've broke, or they have no gas to operate. They're not even assuring a minimal service when they were announcing their cholera outbreak. Where are the people going to go? Because there are no hospital operating right now. They are going to die. It's that simple.
0: Is this something that, that you can see these impacts people dying for lack of access to hospital access to essentials like water food gasoline
1: i think there is no haitian right now that's not either exposed to the reality of folks dying or starving prisoners are dying of hunger or thirst so this is what we're talking about this it's as real as it gets and there seems to be no end in sight
0: It, it sounds truly tragic, the the picture that you're painting. It, it really does. Just take us back a little, if you would, Harold. Explain to us how it is that the ports totally shut down. What's the bigger problem here? The the key
1: issue really is that the Haitian government had been running this legacy subsidy program that it inherited from what they call the Petrocaribe program, which Venezuela sponsored. And that allowed Haiti to have access to oil at a discounted price. It had very positive impact. However, this program got marred into corruption and eventually all but stopped. Now, what happens is pretty much every government tried to avoid addressing it altogether because it would involve removing the subsidy But whenever this would be addressed, it would be very explosive. The first time around that we encountered that was in 2018, on July 6th, 7th. Massive barricades popped out when the government announced, very discreetly during a game between Brazil and and Belgium, because Haitians are big fans of soccer and big fans of Brazil, the government thought it could just sneak in, you know, a measure. A measure that would end
0: the subsidy program. It turns out it couldn't. The country descended in flames. Haiti's government has been forced to cancel fuel price rises of over 40% after violent protests broke out, crowds threw stones at police and set up burning roadblocks.
1: So ever since, they walked back and said, we'll do it gradually. But with all that's going on in the world, inflation, the war in Ukraine and everything, the government was in virtually an impossibility to pay for oil. And the importers, the big oil companies here, were done subsidizing the oil on behalf of the government as well. So the government was facing the reality that, A, they don't have gas anymore. They couldn't import it and subsidize it. And B, you couldn't find
0: it at the pump, at least for the last three months. So this is what led us here. The International Monetary Fund and the World Bank have also urged all poor nations to end fuel subsidies over the course of the decade. Since 2005, riots have broken out in over 40 nations since fuel subsidies were cut. Last month, Haiti joined that group again.
1: The government decided we're no longer subsidizing. Here's the prices with increases of over 100, uh, 120, 130. So the streets just lit up at the moment they decided. Yeah. We Haitian people will demonstrate with our plates and spoons and blankets and pillows in front of Ariel Henry's house to ask him to resign. Hunger and insecurity are killing us all.
0: And then what was the final straw that caused those ports to completely
1: shut down? The minute that the measures were announced that uh, the gas hike would be effective, gangs went and dug trenches in front of the main gate of the biggest oil terminal in the country, which controls nearly 70% of oil available here in Haiti. So that was a massive chokehold to the country and to virtually life in Haiti because oil is transversal. Virtually everything depends on oil to function here. This is the worst possible outcome that could be expected from the current situation. But we've been in it for the last three plus weeks.
0: And I imagine that would have led to violence.
1: Right now, Haiti is fragile. It's volatile. It's explosive. And folks are hungry. And they're taking out their anger on anything they deem responsible. The Dominican president himself called the situation in Haiti A low-intensity civil war. I don't know if it's (laughs) low-intensity. You know, so this kind of, if you can go to the supermarket, if you're light-skinned, there's a lot of things like that that are turning scary. How we go
0: from there, it's anybody's guess. But is what's happening in Haiti affecting the Prime Minister, the foreign nationals, and the elite? What is the rest of the world doing, or not doing, to help? That's next on The Take. If you need in-depth analysis of news and current affairs in one of the world's most misunderstood and complicated regions, join me, Sami Zaydan, every Thursday on the Essential Middle East podcast. So I'm talking with journalist Harold Isaac, who's in Haiti, about a near catastrophic situation there. A massive water shortage, cholera and a stoppage at the port with no goods getting in or out. They must also be affecting the people in power, no? Prime Minister Ariel Henry, how are they eating, drinking? Where are they getting their gas from? Or Are are they enduring the same conditions that regular Haitians are?
1: Honestly, I think they're probably struggling themselves. Nobody is having it easy right now. The sentiment from the ground is that These folks are out of touch. But in in reality, when you know them, you know that they're struggling as well. They just don't have an answer because what is it that they will be able to do? No matter how prepared you were for this, this is really a category five
0: social crisis. People have been protesting against this government, Ariel Henry's accusing the international community in the U.S. of keeping him in power.
1: Well, of course, Haiti um, has had very conflicted relationship with the international over the last century. In the past 15 years plus, the UN spent about $8 of dollars here through various peacekeeping missions. When I discuss with friends, I always tell them, it seems Haiti is exodependent and we reach such a level of dependency that it affects every aspect of our lives. And folks are desperate right now. So you have many voices asking for a military international intervention.
0: So while the international community seems to engage well with the Haitian government, when it comes to Haiti, they seem to be disengaging. The UN peacekeeping mission pulled out of Haiti in 2019. And just weeks ago, the UN withdrew all but essential staff. The international community must have a sense that this is not working.
1: They really, know many embassies already departed. A lot of representation that have departed. The U.S., Canada,
0: France. NGOs and aid groups may reduce their activities, Harold says. A World Food Programme warehouse was looted in the past month. And of course, Haitians themselves are leaving. In my neighbourhood, you may not see
1: someone for a little while. It's like, where is such and such? And like, oh, you know, he left. He tried his luck through Puerto Rico.
0: He almost died on a boat. This is the kind of stories you're hearing. The last government tried to make it easier for Haitians to get passports. People are traveling as far as Turkey in some cases. It's 45 bucks to get a visa from Turkey, so
1: (laughs) people are flying to Turkey and they get
0: stranded there. But most are traveling through South and Central America, trying to get into the United States.
1: On that route, on that path, you have an estimated about 100,000 Haitians at any given point that are walking or traveling because they want to eventually get to the U.S.
0: Maybe you remember a year ago, thousands of Haitians were stuck on the border of Del Rio, Texas.
1: Made to wait in dust, in triple-digit heat conditions, without access to baby formula. Subjected to, in many cases, horses that were effectively stampeding at them.
0: Lauren Wilford is defending some of those individuals in a class action case against US President Joe Biden's administration right now. But the case also has a larger goal.
1: An end to the racist policies that led to
0: their mistreatment and expulsion in the first place. But Lauren and the people they represent have been frustrated by the lack of response.
1: In the months since, the- CBP examined just 30 minutes of a multi-week event and failed to interview a single Haitian person in their investigation.
0: Knowing the situation in Haiti is now worse, they say a meaningful response from the Biden administration is even more important.
1: We believe that the urgency of these matters has only grown greater and we will continue certainly to fight alongside our plaintiffs.
0: Harold gets it. He understands why Haitians want to go. I don't hold any grudge against anyone
1: leaving. I had so many friends leaving this year, the country, and I can understand them. But we're the last Mohicans, as we call ourselves. This is a massive wave of unprecedented skill and proportion with devastating impact, really, on personal levels. Families are ripped apart. Inimaginable things. And that's why folks have been circulating old video from Biden, where he says you know, whether Haiti goes up three hundred feet or sinks down into Caribbean Sea. if Haiti a awful thing to say, if Haiti just quietly sunk into the Caribbean or rose up three hundred feet, it wouldn't matter a whole but lot in terms doesn't of our interest. The world. It doesn't matter much for the for American interest. So this is kind of what the conversation is here. Yesterday was scary. Today, we expect something bad to happen. And this is why you feel the stress. On the streets, you feel it. You feel everybody seeking uh, some sort of hope, you know, which they cannot find.
0: This might seem like a strange question right now, but are there hopes for elections? Is that something that people are asking for? Is that something people think might deliver some sort of change?
1: Well, it's clear that this is what international community is demanding. However, Right now, most folks are looking for water, they're looking for food, and they're looking not to get hit by a rock or attack or mugged. Or this is what they're looking for, not to go and cast a vote.
0: Yeah, that's fair enough, I guess. The last story we did on The Take about Haiti was about one of the gang leaders, Barbecue, and the possibility that he could take over. If the current government just walked away, what would take its place is there space for the gang leaders to move in?
1: <laughs> this, this is a possibility that is so uh, unthinkable. For most Haitians, for most of my friends, most people I, I talk to on a regular basis, this is not even something they think of because to them, there'll be a miracle. Countries will come to the rescue, but things have changed abroad. And it seems that the answer is no, it's not happening. You are on your own.
0: People often forget the long story when it comes to Haiti. It was the first independent country in the Caribbean, the first black-led republic when it won that independence from France just over 100 years ago. But for decades, Haiti was forced to pay France reparations for winning its freedom. So just to clarify, it's Haitians who were used by slaves by France. And the country was forced to actually pay France back for what they'd endured. Now, the New York Times worked out the math. And in today's dollars, that's 560 million. How do you think that plays into where we are today?
1: Haiti is a traumatized country. The struggle of this country goes back 500 years since slaves started arriving here. And we carry all that trauma with us. And the exploitation, as demonstrated by the piece of the New York Times, which I did contribute to as well.
0: It was a great piece.
1: Thank you. exploitation of our vulnerabilities, of our situation, of our struggles as not really seized, And I think that no entity abroad or foreign power wants to look at it necessarily from that standpoint because of the level of responsibility and liability that it involves. Haiti is a nation that was built in the struggle to free slaves. We were a beacon of freedom, a beacon of hope. And what Average folks here will tell you is that in a way we're paying for that today. We cannot be that example. And that's why they feel that there is a hidden hand in everything at play right now, because from their perspective, we have to be kept in that state of destitution so that others can see that we took the wrong path.
0: You're sitting there on your front porch now. It looks like a lovely sunny day. We don't often hear about what's great about the country that that you call home?
1: I don't think there's anywhere in the universe I'd feel more home than here. With all our contradictions, with all our problems, our struggles, I love the place. I love the people. I have many friends here. I live up in the hills. I'm about 1,100 meters above sea level. I have tremendous, beautiful trees next to my place. And it's inspiring. It's a beautiful culture. We are all prisoners of sorts of this beautiful place we're in a golden cage on fire let's put it that way
0: and that's the take this episode was produced by amy walters with chloe k lee ruby Zaman, nagin oliai ashish malhotra alexandra Locke, and me halama headeen alex Roldan is our sound designer tim st mixed this episode Aya Lake and Adam Abugad are our engagement producers, and Ney Alvarez is Al Jazeera's Head of Audio. We'll be back on Wednesday.